had to be you. Is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. Welcome to a Pop You, the Top Film Society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen. I'm your host, Manish Mather, and uh, we are taking a break from the queer romance miniseries to go back to the bad romance miniseries that I was doing kind of back in the winter and spring of, of this year. Um, and it's sort of the grand finale with a guest that I'm really, really excited to introduce, um, author... Journalist, Professor Zaki Hassan, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm, I'm I'm excited to have you on just because I've been you know listening to you on podcasts and have been reading your work for quite a long time. So it's uh, really a, a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And I yeah, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Oh no, it's my pleasure. So um, the Bad Romance miniseries was something that I've been wanting to do for a while. And part of that was because of Stephen, um, Stanley, Stanley Kubrick's uh, The Shining. Um, I think one of my favorite horror movies. And to truthfully, the movie that uh, were one of the movies that I had um, thought about first to do this miniseries. I mean, this miniseries was born from The Shining and from Get Out. Um, as well, and Rosemary's Baby <laughs> as well. So um, I'm, I'm really happy to have you on the podcast, and I'd love to hear kind of if you remember the first time you saw The Shining and what your impression of was, your impression was of it at the time and how it's changed over the years. Yeah, uh, well, I should say my, my first exposure to The Shining wasn't so much The Shining, it was The Shining on uh the simpsons halloween special oh wow. uh, in one of the one of the early seasons and you know i think that's one of the great things about the simpsons is that uh for uh, certainly from it's been my experience and i know that it's something that that many other people can attest to it was my on-ramp to important pop culture artifacts so sort of you watch a thing and you're like well i i don't know the reference but i know this is important and uh, I didn't end up watching uh, The Shining until I was in college a couple of years later in film school. And the great thing was, number one, like I, I finally got, got all the jokes. <laughs> I got all the uh, all of the, the the various, you know, uh, parody aspects in in The Shining. But beyond that, it was uh, it was it was my second uh, Kubrick movie that, that I saw. And um, that 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 was kind of fun because because you know I I had seen two thousand and one, uh, then I saw Shining, and then in short order I saw you know Full Metal and and um, uh, uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Saw something. Oh oh, and Clockwork Orange. I saw Clockwork Orange before Eyes Wide Shut. So I I got like a crash course in Kubrick very quickly, and and I think what what really what stuck out to me watching watching the film oh and i should mention i i had actually um i watched the the miniseries the tv miniseries Mm. uh before i saw the film yeah well i'd love to talk to you about that as well because i've seen i think uh half of the miniseries and i don't think i ever got to finish it um but i love we can definitely talk about that at some point because i think it's very important to talk about yeah. So, so I, like, I, I, you know what I mean? Like going into the movie, yeah. th- th- there was nothing that was really going to surprise me in terms mm. of the, the storyline, but it was more like the discovery of like, Oh, this is the thing where all this other stuff came from, you know? Cause even, even the TV miniseries, which I do like, I mean, it is a response. It is a reaction or, or a counterpoint, if you will, to the film, you know? So yeah. I think it's helpful. It's helpful to have the film as, as context. Yeah, um, I think, you know, my first exposure to Kubrick was, I think, Eyes Wide Shut, um, definitely um, a movie that I, I've watched because, you know, of course, my 
star associations with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman and didn't really know mm-hmm. what to expect. And, you know, that's been a movie that I've, I've, I've carried with me over the years. Um, and The Shining, I, I didn't watch too much later after that. It, I, I, I think I watched it for the first time, like back in 20, I think 2013, like it was pretty late because um, I wasn't really into horror movies. And but I just, you know, of course, you've heard so much about it. And, you know, my sister is a big fan and she's she's watched it many times. And um, it was playing on the IFC network, you know, one day and I just recorded it on DVR, you know, back in the cable days and watched <laughs> it. And I, it was it you know, scared me to death. I really was, I was surprised by a lot of it. I mean, I didn't know anything about it except for the hotel. I kind of knew like general, you know, things from the Friends episode where Rachel reads The Shining. Um, oh, sure. <laughs> and Joey reads Little Women. So I kind of, I remember that like, okay, yeah, I remember some of the things from, you know, that. Um, but it, it, it freaked me out. And I remember having to like pause it several times, just be like, I, or like praying for a commercial break. Cause I'm like, I just need a break from this tension and could <laughs> not sleep for a week and was scared of the movie for a long time. And, you know, it's since it still has a very similar effect on me, but, um, I have come to really love it and really appreciate, you know, all of it in its, you know, in its package and, um, you know, I've never, I've never read the novel. I've seen the Doctor Sleep a number of times, and le- you know, like that movie a lot as well. Um, but I just, there's so many different, you know, angles to kind of go at it that I, you know, of the family dynamics, the horror, the you know, the Native American metaphor, you know, all that is just there's a lot, a lot, a lot to unpack with The Shining, and and it's a movie that for me has a lot of. Um, uh, you know, there's so many different ways to to kind of look at it, and it, it keeps, I think, offering new and new ways to to think about it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I uh, so I remember like one of the things that I remember hearing a lot about, you know, The Shining is, um, and I, I think I think this has somewhat changed in in recent years, but in talking about, you know, like, uh, the performances by, you know, Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall and, you know, whether they are too much too, or whether they give away too much or kind of what's, what's happening there. And, uh, cause I remember like, I watched this movie about, um, you know, one of the times I watched the movie was with my roommates at the time and they were just like, they loved the movie, but they thought all the acting was way off because <laughs> they were like, well, you know, Jack Nicholson is, She's too crazy at the beginning. Shelley Duvall is too hysterical. It's like there's no, there's <laughs> yeah. no like baseline, right? They start, at, they start at you know at a high decibel, um, yeah. And that's something that I really, I disagreed with, uh, disagreed with at the time, and continue to see the sort of the how why those performances are pitched, you know, the way they are, and especially in terms of their marriage and how. You know, this isn't about a happy family that goes crazy, but it's about a broken family mm-hmm. whose, you know, brokenness gets exacerbated by this intense isolation. That's exactly. It. Yeah, I mean, Kubrick said as much, right? I mean, he yeah. he said that Jack Torrance is a guy who hates his kid. He's in a loveless marriage, and he's just like a ticking time bomb. And then, you know, the 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 overlook just brings out what was already there. Yeah, and exactly. And I always think that you know, if another set of people go into this hotel with a different set of problems, right, then like those problems, like it's just like this hotel just has that power to bring out everything that's already there. Um, and because I, I know one of the things that, you know, the author Stephen King has gone on, and I think he's sort of softened this opinion over time, but um, it's he's always like, well, this movie's about like, you know, I'll call it, it's like if, if, the movie is about like alcoholism and, and how like you know a, a normal family man kind of goes like descends into madness. But I kind of like that Kubrick takes that and just turns it up even more and says like, no, this already is this, this is already happening in their family, and then it just gets pushed, you know, yeah. to the edge. Yeah, um, you you can see Stephen King sort of you know he he viewed uh, Jack Torrance as a, you know. A, a surrogate for himself so you can see, you can see why yeah. he maybe wasn't thrilled with jack nicholson just be, being he's already at like a nine out of ten on the crazy scale 
<laughs> you can see why why King might have might have had issues. But you know, I I always I tend to look at this. I'm like, this is Steve. This is Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Yeah. And uh, Stephen King's Shining is the book, and to a lesser extent, the the uh, the '97 miniseries. What's your um, what's your history with um, uh, Kubrick? I mean, you kind of mentioned it before, but like, what are some of the other films of his that you really like and sort of like what, you know, or is he a filmmaker that you like return to a lot or uh, or just someone that you kind of had studied a bit, you know, in school and, and in your work? Yeah, I, I he he's definitely a filmmaker who adm- I admire and I wouldn't say. I love every movie he's made, but I I would say I've enjoyed studying every movie of his that I've seen. You know what I mean? Even if I yeah. end up not liking it, I, I I think there's always intentionality in every choice that he makes. You know, and uh, you know I screen in my in my art of film class I screen uh, um, the Paths of Glory, mm. which I think is one of his very best movies. You know, and and I really like how that's not necessarily like the movie that most often comes up when we're talking about sort of the you know the filmography of stanley kubrick and yet you and i mean that's one of his earliest films uh and yet you see there the beginnings of of sort of the the stuff that defines him in terms of set design and camera placement and uh where he where where he the ways in which he blocks uh, a scene while while uh, characters interact. I, I think I mentioned earlier the very first Kubrick movie I ever saw was two thousand and one. So, to me, like when you say Stanley Kubrick, I think of the monolith, you know, which I suppose yeah. is appropriate because I mean he is sort of a monolith, you know, in terms of of the the shadow that he casts on cinema. But I mean, it's extraordinary how different his movies are, you know. I mean you're not going to confuse eyes wide shut with Spartacus or, you know, and, and yet there is this through line of certain uh, Kubrick tropes, you know, uh, even, even uh, AI artificial intelligence to me, it's, it feels much more of a, of a Kubrick movie than a Spielberg movie to me. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I really do. I really do admire, you know, Kubrick, of course. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, I always find it a little, like, I don't know, a little cute when, like, people who, like, love film will kind of, like, dismiss his work because I'm, like, his, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, like, I get it. Like, he's popular and there's been, you know, a lot of, his movies carry a lot of prestige and there's a lot of writing about them and they hold a lot of importance. And I, but I'm, like, you have to, like, appreciate, you know, the ways in which they, you know, broke a lot of ground and 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 created a lot of things in, in film and have a lot of influence even if you don't like them and i agree there are ones that i don't really care for like you know full metal jacket not a fan of clockwork orange i'm you know i i'm okay with but it's really like the shining eyes wet shut 2001 you know barry linden these are the four that i'm like these are mm-hmm. and Spartacus to a lesser degree but like um these are the ones that i'm you know i'm really invested in and find to be very um you know, alluring to return to, especially as they, you know, a lot of things that I really appreciate about these movies that like, they're actually very funny. And, you know, like The Shining, you know, the first time I saw the movie, I was, you know, scared out of my wits. I could not appreciate the humor, but I feel like the more I watch it, the more, you know, it's not that it's like, haha, funny, but there's a lot of irony. There's a lot of, um, a lot of just like kind of winking humor sometimes. And, it's, it feels like there's, you know, I. it feels like there's a different level at which this movie is kind of playing. And one of them is that sheer horror factor. And another is, you know, there's a little bit of, it's a little absurd at times in ways that I find, you know, really fun to think about. Yeah, I totally, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're, we're of course talking about this movie on a romance movie podcast and, you know, talking about this, you know, this movie as a, you know, to me, this is, a, I think, a really interesting, you know, marriage movie. Um, and I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on, you know, how this, um, you know, how this relationship plays out and, you know, just in general. Because, um, you know, one thing I, I think about with this movie a lot is like, how did these, how did Jack and Wendy really ever get together in the first place? You know, not that I, I, you know, I, I don't want to see a prequel. Like I'm not putting it out there. You know, I, I don't, I don't need that. But it's just like you know, 
partially because like they're not even introduced together like you don't really see them at home together and the the kind of the clues you get about their home life before they go to the overlook are just you know just sounds miserable and scary and and intense and um but yeah i would love to like um get you know if you like what what your thoughts are about this relationship in general and then we can go further into detail yeah it's it is fascinating to me because you know um i i completely agree with what you just said about like fundamentally if if there is a gap in my you know uh understanding of this film it's that i'm just like i don't believe for one second these people ever did love each other you know uh, yeah. and you know and and i'm sure that that's sort of by design uh by kubrick but i i think uh you know it it's it's and it, i i chuckle that you know you sort of have it in the context of like uh you, you know uh, a weird romance you know because you're like yeah it's it, uh, it's a marriage it's it's it, this is like the textbook loveless marriage right like you're like well the, <laughs> whatever the opposite of hashtag relationship goals this is this is that right yeah um and and i think that it's that's sort of you know i i mean i think what kubrick does and by virtue of, of casting you know uh nicholson who's already kind of, kind of nutty uh he's he's laying out for the audience exactly what's going to happen like i think that's sort of the genius of the movie you know you got uh barry nelson's like yeah previous guy went uh crazy and uh you know uh your jack nicholson seems likely you're gonna go crazy you know and so we're like okay well he's gonna go crazy like i mean you know what i mean it's it's not it's not particularly subtle and i think that's sort of the interesting thing as is is we are the 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 uh, the film is winding down to that to the inevitable outcome, and I think that's what makes it interesting. The the I you know I I find I find the Wendy character somewhat off putting, and I, I I don't know if that's because of the character is written or or you know the I was going to say the choices Shelley Duvall made. Now let me rephrase the the abuse that Kubrick heaped on her that made her give the porn she did, but I think. I I don't I don't find her relatable except that well I don't want to get murdered by a guy holding an axe. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um <laughs> I I I agree. Um sorry, my I'm, I'm dog sitting and my uh the puppy <laughs> no is barking in the background cuz I'm not paying attention to her so um <laughs> but she's fine. Um yeah, I I agree and I, and I I think what's interesting like yeah, they have the textbook um, you know, loveless marriage. And I think that's kind of interesting to think about because, um, you know, what their, I think like what their main struggle is that, you know, they are just both, I think she's like trapped with him. And, and I, I think, you know, what's kind of fascinating to me about, you know, their marriage is that they, um, there's, yeah, like there's just no joy in it and it's just very um mm -hmm. it's very like it's it's it, it is off-putting i mean i agree that her performance is very off-putting in a way that to me it makes it more interesting because you know she's not um she's not playing the audience surrogate that you might really think or like you, you know what i mean like she's not playing you know the put upon victim wife i mean she is that but like She's not playing it in the sense of like having us sympathize with her, but she's playing it in the sense of like she's matching Jack Nicholson's own hysteria and, um, you know, her, yeah. it's, you know, and it's like we're not, um, I, I'm finding it hard to even kind of um, like articulate it because it's, you know, she, she is the victim. She is someone that I would want that is more, um, um is you know isn't that she seems to be pretty okay with that time in her life yeah. um you know i think one i watched this movie during the during the pandemic like during the early days of lockdown which was kind of a mistake um because <laughs> it just like highlighted the isolation and highlighted the um 
the you know the the panic and, and all that. And I was just find it interesting that you know like they spend like three months together or like one month or a very short amount of time, and already they're going crazy and and stuff. And like it just it you know I, there's a lot of movies that I watched at the time that I was like, oh, this is like a really interesting you know lockdown movie. Like what a cool metaphor. <laughs> and it's just like yeah. the dynamic. And like I could see like. You know, I was living with my parents at the time and like not that we got to this extent, but there is time where it's just like just being trapped in the same place as someone is mm-hmm. hard. You know, as much yeah. as you even in, even in a family where there's a lot of love and warmth, it's like there's no way to escape kind of getting a little going a little a mm-hmm. little crazy at times. Yeah. Um, you know, I. I find that, you know, Wendy, is a, I think Wendy's probably like the character that I really am interested in the most just because of, you know, how much she's trying to keep everything together. But I mm-hmm. don't think it's out of like love or like maternal instinct, more just like she doesn't quite know what she doesn't know the extent to which you know, she doesn't know how, like, bad it could get, so it's like, mm-hmm. she might as well keep everything together. Do you get that sense from her? No, I, yeah, like, absolutely. Like, the yeah. more, like, if she lets everything fall apart, she doesn't know how bad it's going to get, and I find that to be um, kind of an interest, and and that, like, she doesn't, like, I don't I, I it's like, she can't quite, um, it's like, it's not that she can't leave this marriage. I mean, I don't, I think she's trapped in it herself, but also that um, it just, uh, it. I think like the house is even affecting her and keeping her in this pattern of, you know, trying to make it work and pretending they're normal and just like, you know, trying to like watch TV and make dinner and stuff and um, to like keep her like trapped in this cycle as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think I, you know, pursuant to, you know, the time in which the movie came out and sort of the, the, the you know, probably at that time, the perceived difficulty of getting out of a difficult marriage, you can imagine that uh, the characters dealing with all of that. And, you know, it's kind of circling back to the point we were making earlier, you know, it, it's not like we see the family loving and caring at the start of the movie and then everything just goes to shit. I mean, it, it's yeah. uncomfortable already. And so you're kind of like, well, it's, it's been bad for, I mean, she think about it. She talks about like, Oh yeah, Jack, like, you know, broke Danny's shoulder, whatever she says uh, like a year ago. Yeah. Right. And, and you're, I mean, yeah. think, think about that. Think about that in 2023. Like, how fast a lot of people would be out of that relationship. Right. Yeah. And not to say, you know, there's plenty of people who unfortunately stay in that type of scenario, but you can imagine that for her, like for her to be able to look past it, that's my point. She's so like, Oh yeah, he, he got drunk and he did this. And and she's not talking about it with like anger. She's kind of like, it's, she's so, she's so like, yeah, he did that, you know? Yeah. I think that's what a lot of, um, a lot of like confusion or you know even like anger towards her comes from from a lot of modern viewers such mm-hmm. as myself is that like she yep. you know like like she's not very i think she's trying to be as protective as possible but i think she's just so weak and beaten down that mm-hmm. it's just not it's not possible for her and it really does it you know i it makes it almost scarier how blase and matter of fact she is because it just makes me wonder, you know, like what goes on again, like what goes on in that house before they even go to the hotel, Mm -hmm. because it just feels very uncomfortable and, and violent and awful. And then to add to that, you know, this isolation and the haunting and everything, it's just, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's an intense movie. I, I think, um, and um, I like that, you know, I like the way that Kubrick kind of plays this and that it's it's so understated because um, it, it allows for these like traumatic things to feel more, not normal, but feel more like the baseline is already this intense. And then it's just going to get ramped up even more and more, 
to the point where like you know the baseline of this movie is most people's like end point you know <laughs> right yeah and uh that's that really scares me um what what would be some of your favorite or kind of most compelling moments in the film uh or lines or or you know scare scenes that that really kind of speak to you or make you come back to the movie i mean it it it's almost a, a, a cliche at this point, but I mean, I don't think I don't think there are many more cinematic horror moments certainly that are more iconic than "Here's Johnny," mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, I, that's again, that's that's a moment that I, I don't show the film in my my class, but I show that moment, um, and and it's 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 amazing because because we talk about oh well you know Nicholson's gonna go crazy like even if you don't know anything about it you're like well he's gonna go crazy. But boy, does he go crazy. You know what I mean? Like, he yeah. he grabs that axe and boy, does he run with it, you know, literally and figuratively. Um, and and I, I think I think connected to that, I, I think that what I was saying earlier about how like we know what's going to happen. It's just a, it's just a how I think Kubrick does a really good job of making us lean in close sort of metaphorically. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing you should never yeah. do. <laughs> but he makes us sort of lean in and then wow when it happens i mean he's he's just so he's so deft at this you know and and it's not like horror is a genre that he he lived in a ton and so the fact that he he just kind of he just kind of visited and he does he just he just drops by and gives us like one of the greatest horror movies ever made and then he goes off and does other stuff isn't that amazing I mean, it's like the greatest, you know, science fiction movie, the greatest, yeah. you know, erotic thriller, <laughs> the greatest, like, you know, sword and sandals movie, the greatest, you know, <laughs> war movie, you know, like the greatest, like, you know, coming of age movie, you know, mm-hmm. it's like the greatest period movie. Like, it's just like so funny um, to think about that. And like, I don't ever listen to the Blank Check podcast, but it's, you know, two, two podcast hosts who go through a director and every episode is a movie. Um, and they went, they did Kubrick about, uh, I guess about a year ago or so. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the, one of their guests mentioned like, you know, Kubrick, you know, it's like he did one movie in a genre, but then made the greatest of that genre or mm-hmm. one of the most like influential. And I, I think that is true. Um, or at least the, definitely the argument could be made. And I, I think what's interesting about The Shining in relation to that is that you know, this movie is so packed with amazing sequences that just have you on the edge of your seat. Like, you know, of course, Room 237, like that was, I think that was a scene where I had to like pause the movie and like walk around the kitchen for like a minute because I'm like, (laughs) it's just like, I cannot handle what's happening here. And I was, I mean, I was 24, 22. Like I wasn't young, Um, you know, and even now in my thirties, like actually the movie gets even more scared as I'm getting closer and closer to like an actual, like committed relationship where I'm spending multiple (laughs) days and weeks with, with someone. You're just kind of like, wow, it's, it, it, it just, it plays like that. And, I think what's interesting about The Shining is that, like, there's, you know, there's just so much going on that, and you can watch this movie through so many different lenses. And that's why I think even these scare scenes still seem to work. I mean, um, you know, you mentioned the scene with, you know, talking about like, you know, the uh, Danny's, uh, injury like six months ago or a year ago. And, um, you know, I think I, I kind of picked up on this more and more, the more I watched it is like how much this movie is about like, you know, unspoken, you know, domestic violence, yep. um, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, emotional and physical abuse in, in a way that it's not just that it's about it, but like, I feel like the whole movie feels like a metaphor for a very troubled and violent home life. And, um, and this merit, like, even if you don't, even when, even if you don't really see it until towards the end, it's like, it's always there and it's always unspoken and it's always under the surface. Uh, and like how much Danny and Wendy are both um, just teetering on the edge to not set off the, you know, set off the alarm or whatever. Um, right. And it's so, you know, to me, that makes this movie even scarier is that all of that is being exacerbated by these hauntings and by these ghosts and all the violence and 
trauma that's happened at the hotel before they even got there. Yeah, and and I think especially when we view it through the lens of the idea that um, trauma is passed on, right? Like it, it, yeah, and and so so you know all the all the bloodshed that is embodied by this hotel, it it you know that violence and and um, suffering, it's it's you know you know you know hurt people hurt people right that's the that's the, the yeah. thing and i i think very much jack is the receptacle of that and i think um uh you you have an advantage on me in that in that uh, you have seen um dr sleep i have yet to watch that but I'm, I'm hoping to soon actually um but you know you you with without the context of dr sleep you know the, the question is always like what's how is danny gonna gonna carry this forward you know yeah um i feel like you know modern horror is going through a major boom and there's a lot of really amazing horror movies out there however i'm so sick of trauma horror which is like (laughs) the new like i remember you know i in i think in the second and third of the new halloween trilogy you know jamie lee curtis and you know all, all the filmmakers just kept talking about the trauma you know, uh, Lori's trauma and the trauma of the town and Michael's trauma. And I feel like that's in every horror movie, even the ones I really like, like Smile or Barbarian or, you know, or even, you know, Pearl and, and mm-hmm. X. And, and I mean, I like all these movies. I like, you know, I like the first new Halloween movie. So it's not like I, it's not like it's a turn off for me. However, I just feel like it's such a cliche now and it's a way to like make horror movies feel more prestigious mm. than, you know, that's uh, you know that that's interesting. Can you can you can you expand on that a little bit? That's I think because like I mean you know like the whole like elevated horror mm-hmm. you know cliche that started with like Hereditary and it comes the night and, and all those movies. I mean I love Hereditary. I love Ari Aster. So um, but like I think he does it in a, in a way like you know his. I think he makes movies about trauma in a way that's more artistic and more like you know, off-putting and a little bit more original. And I feel like Mm -hmm. a lot of these other movies do it where it's just like, we need to make horror, like horror is so, um, it's such a like, kind of like lowly genre. Mm -hmm. It's kind of cheap. You know, these movies are made for very cheap and they're just there for like scare tactics. But if we talk about, you know, the character's trauma and how, you know, it's related to this and there's, you know, past trauma and they're going through this. And it's, you know, to me, like the, um, I think mean, like the worst offender is the new Candyman movie, which I did not really care for because mm-hmm. I felt like it wasn't really scary. It just was talking about tra- like the trauma of the neighborhood mm-hmm. and everything. And when you look at the, you know, the original Candyman or The Shining or, um, you know, even something like Psycho going that far back, like um, even the original Halloween or the, you know, the Freddy Krueger movies, like, they, that those themes are in there, but it's a little bit more subtle and it's a little mm-hmm. bit more uh, uh, understated. And I feel like now, because you know, you know, like mental health conversation is so prominent, uh, prominent in our conversation and you know, on social media, that I think that it's, it's it's an easy way. I think for horror movies to feel a little bit more like elevated, a little bit more mm-hmm. like important rather yeah. than just and. Because I, you know, I think horror movies in general are very important because it's a way to, it's catharsis in a way, and it's a way to explore these heavy themes in a way that's, you know, entertaining and visceral and, you know, and, you know, gets, you know, to get a reaction out of you. But at the same time, I feel like there's a disrespect towards horror. And so I think filmmakers are overcompensating by talking about more like psychological, Mm -hmm. emotional, themes yeah. and and making it more making like the subtext of the shining into actual text and i i think it's not as successful as yeah. the shining i think in movies that i really like it's not like i don't like these movies but i've just i've noticed a trend yeah. and sometimes it's, it's more in the like the marketing of the press tour sure than in the actual movie so like um i mean i think you know i like the movie smile but that movie was like so heavy on mental health conversation that i was just like i it didn't i i don't know i just like it didn't quite work for me as much as i would have liked it but 
And I think with The Shining, it's like, it, that stuff is all there. The generational trauma, the passed on trauma, it's all there. You know, the, the, you know, the, the Native American theme is there, but it's so, it's just like a single line and then, or it's just a small part of the movie. And then it's like, you know, you can then write an entire essay or entire book about it, you know, or like the theme of domestic violence is there, but it's so subtle. To me, it's it's done more through the the mise-en-scene, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the performance styles, the like, even just like the camera work suggests this more than actual dialogue or even depicting it. Um, right. No, I, so, you know, I, if, if I can just sort of pick up on, on the, the thread there, I, I think it, a parallel to me anyway, and, and you can feel free to disagree. It, it, to me, it, it's something like um, uh, Joker, the movie Joker. Yeah. Where, you know, the, like it's a movie that I appreciated. I did enjoy watching it, but I'm like, you know, I don't want to go down this road with this character where you're, <laughs> you're framing him in a way where I need to start feeling bad when, when Batman beats the shit out of him, you know, like, <laughs> right. Like I, I right. think, I think yeah. there's, you know, I think, I think in that sense, you know, horror pictures and, and uh, you know, superhero pictures are sort of, uh, they have that same problem where people sort of look down their nose at him and, and there's this desire to, you know, elevated horror and, you know, what is, what is the Dark Knight trilogy, but sort of elevated superhero. Right. And it's kind of like, yeah, yeah. and, and again, I like the Dark Knight films, but, the, but what I've said all along, I'm like, the problem is the further down that road you go, where we're going to be quote unquote realistic about this. Well, then it becomes more ridiculous. The more realistic you try to approach it. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, even I mean, even the Dark Knight, which I agree, you know, I, you know, I like the Dark Knight movies, but I I agree that like they, um, they were the start of this of Mm -hmm. kind of making superhero movies more gritty and realistic. Mm -hmm. And I think it's not to blame them for that, because that was unique at the time. And they didn't know that it would become the like defining factor of superhero movies for the next 15 years um or 20 years almost mm-hmm. and so but i think even the dark knight like you know heath ledger's joker is so it's the mental health part of it is there but it's also part of the character and that like you don't actually know what his backstory is because mm-hmm. he keeps changing it or you don't know what's an act and what's real and that's part of the character mm-hmm. um and even going back to like jack nicholson's joker to kind of bring it back to the shining mm-hmm. um it's like even there, you you really don't know what this what this guy's thinking, and that you know that to me says more about the character than you know Joaquin Phoenix not getting his meds or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I no, barely yeah. Remember, that's exactly I barely remember the Joker, but like you know, to me, like that's you know, or him like dealing with like a mental health hospital. Like, yeah, I don't know. You're absolutely right. You know, it's like it to like to me like The Shining. I think and Stan and Kubrick, and I think he does this really well in. Um, eyes wide shut as well and that like the tensions of this marriage that he is presenting is so understated it's in the dialogue it's in the the acting it's in the way that the movie is made but it's not um but it's not like outright it's not like we're having a scene with like wendy and jack about like their marital problems mm-hmm. and yeah you know but it's more just like because it's more just like they're not they're just not, they're not actually having that conversation. And that is, makes it more scary. And that like, they're, she's afraid to have it. And he's, you know, too like insane to have it, you know? Yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Jack Nicholson um, and his performance in this movie, because I know we talked about it a little bit, but um, I think that this is like one of my favorite Jack Nicholson performances, even mm-hmm. though it scares Again, it terrifies me, but um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on him as an actor and this performance in general. He really is one of a kind, isn't he? I mean, that was, as I was prepping for, for this discussion, I was kind of, you know, uh, chapter skipping through some of the, the highlights of this movie. And I'm just yeah. like, I'm, there is there is no, there is no Jack Nicholson after Jack Nicholson. I mean, he was... You know, and he hasn't acted in a little while now. I think he's he's basically retired, and you're just like God. But yeah, I I mean, I mean it, it, the the run that he had playing 
so many distinctive characters that are that are inevitably him, right? I mean, it's it's he he is a great actor who is a personality actor in that whatever movie he was in, he was generally playing the Jack Nicholson character, and it was just sort of illuminating different different stripes of that. Uh, truly one of yeah. a kind, you know. I, and I think you know, to your point, you just mentioned him in, in Batman. You know, it's kind of the same thing in Batman, where the minute you see him, you're like, oh, well, he's going to become the Joker, right? Like you don't even need to know. Yeah. What's going to happen? Yeah. But it's kind of the same thing. Ah, he's going to close family. He's going to try to. Yeah. I, I think what's interesting about him in this movie is that he's he's able to, like, turn on the charm in, like, a weird way. Like, mm-hmm. during the interview scenes or even, like, when he's, like, um, you know, in the bar talking to the bartender. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. just, like, but it's, like, he's able to, like, tone down the craziness. But then, like the words he's saying or it's like always just like simmering and he just is able to like capture that in a way that's so I think so interesting to me in that like because I I agree there's definitely a version of this movie with like a lesser actor who is kind of playing it at that level at the start that it's like doesn't work because it gives away too much but I think Nicholson's able to like just simmer yeah. and simmer and simmer. simmer. That's the right and, word, yeah. you know, he gives that stare, you know, one of my favorite shots is like him in that, like, uh, that like grayish kind of like knit sweater. And he's just yep. staring out the window. At the, 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 the private pile close up on him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, it's just so like, it's just, it's shocking how he's able to like convey so much just through, yeah. Like that Kubert stare. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I just like I, I really, I really love this movie. Um, what I, I think, I think one thing that I really, really do love about this movie is it's um, it has this like weird relationship to, um, to like sexuality, mm-hmm. and you know, of course, this marriage we've talked about it being a loveless marriage, and like I don't really envision you know, Jack and Wendy having like a very romantic honeymoon yeah, or, right. you know, getting away together. Like, um, but there is this element of like, you know, of course, like the ghost in room 237 and, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, like the, the ghosts and like the bear costume and all that of all this, like, mm-hmm. um, it's like almost like it's like teasing this man or teasing him about, or like, you know, kind of like, poking at this like very loveless marriage and mm-hmm. how like it's like brimming with this like you know all these you know hints at you know sex and sexuality but this marriage is so cold and dead i just found that to be interesting yeah well and and i've heard some uh interpretations that read you know a history of of sexual abuse between jack and danny yeah which, which I mean, I, I I don't know that that's something Kubrick intended, but I feel like just you know the stuff I've I've read, it's like well, it's pretty I, compelling because I've read stuff like that as well. Yeah, I, I, that's exactly. It feels like well, there's enough there that you can. I, I think you can run with it because I, I you know, it, I think it's um, left open I, enough for that interpretation. There's this one blogger that um, he like has his whole blog is dedicated to The Shining, and he talks about like the architecture of the hotel just not matching at all like mm-hmm. there are rooms that shouldn't exist and uh like i think one of them is that he's like the office window for the general manager like just mm-hmm. should not exist because there's a hallway behind it oh, and stuff like that but he he like he like goes deep deep into it and like um he has an article about the sexual abuse um in the family and um, I think one of his things was like this theme of like bears being associated yes. with Danny. Like he has right. like bears on his shirt and there's a bear above his bed. And um, and just like the way in which uh, like that scene between him and Jack and like how he like grabs the arm is like very much, it's like, um, it feels very like uh, uncomfortable in a way that's just beyond just like, yeah, I mean, even, and any kind of violence would be uncomfortable, but I think it goes even further. And just like this, um, that there's like this, like even like this, like this, like weird homosexual mm-hmm. undertone with with Jack in general, like how he is so disinterested in any kind of sex with his wife, and he's, you know, um, you know, just I, 
I believe this guy mentions that he has like a, a Playgirl magazine. Yes. Which yeah. I have, yeah, which I did not notice until it was pointed out. That's right. And so there's just like this, like these like little hints and like, well, I mean, and, and so specifically, easy. specifically, that, first of all, like, why is there a Playgirl in like the, it's in the, the lobby of the Overlook. Yeah. Right? Right, Jack is reading. Right. And, and uh, the cover, apparently it's a, a, the, the, what I saw pointed out, there's like a thing about uh, parents who commit incest with their children. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I mean, it's so easy to like get into the rabbit hole of like The Shining uh, because like, you know, there's, you know, Kubrick is so detailed and like, who knows what's going on in his mind? You know, like I was wondering about stuff like that. Like, is he sitting down being like, okay, I want this like theme of bears to be associated with Danny and I'm going to, you know, or like, um, you know, or like this magazine. Like, I just, you know, of course, like he, like, you know, there was there was no audio commentary at the time, and you know there was no way there's no way to know what he was thinking. But yeah. it's definitely like stuff that's there, and like I wonder if it's like his sick sick sense of humor of like what can I put in this movie just to like get people thinking. And mm-hmm. but like there weren't like I mean I know like TVs were around, of course. I guess people watching on TV, but it's not like we have the technology to like you know, pause and rewind and like, you know, zoom in and stuff that we do now. It's just, yeah. it's just like, you know, I feel like this whole movie is a big joke. <laughs> like where the joke is on the audience of like, mm. how, how far can you go into the rabbit hole of all these like little things I'm planting? I feel the same way about Hitchcock too, where I'm like, I feel, it feels like Psycho is a big joke to the audience in some ways of like how sure. many times he like twists and turns and like, you know, subverts your expectations and, and uh, really like highlights things that are um, supposed to be important, but could not be important. But also like, you know, it's just like a big, like um, a lot of irony to me. Uh, But yeah, I definitely agree that there's something, there's a lot of, a lot of really unsettling tension between father and son in this movie. And I think that, you know, it makes you wonder about that incident, you know, and Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, Jack's sobriety is, um, you know, like, I think Wendy mentions that she's been, he's been sober, you know, ever since, but, you know, it's always like on the edge of relapse. And like when he like pours a drink for himself or right, like the ghost bartender does or whatever, right. you do feel that sense of like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. like, yep. now we're, we're going into, you know, into an abyss of some, of some sort. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk about the miniseries. I don't know if you've seen it in quite some time, but I remember seeing the first half of it and just being like, this is, it's just not Kubrick and it's just missing that like artistry. But I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah. So, so at the time uh, I saw it, I knew of the movie um, and I knew sort of the, 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 awe that people had for the film but i think i went into the miniseries with the benefit of not having seen the movie so i know of its reputation but i, I haven't seen it uh and i i should say i was i was a fan of steven weber um because of his work on on wings you know during the 90s and so i i've said all along i i like the miniseries i think it's good i think it's completely different from the movie so don't even bother comparing it but as as a representation uh that's probably closer to what Stephen King wanted I find it compelling I I think I think that um I think Weber very smartly doesn't even attempt to 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 do what Nicholson does you know and I think I think in that sense it's probably a little bit more straightforward a little bit more standard issue um but I I I like Rebecca De Mornay um as Wendy I don't know how, again, it's been a while. It's been probably 25 years since I've seen it. And I don't know if it's available uh, for viewing easily, but you know, I, I I always say like, I think it's worth a look, you know, again, I'm not in any way going to say it, it, uh, it stands shoulder to shoulder with, with the 1980 movie, but I, I, I do appreciate it. And I, I think that, I think it's different enough that there's, there's, there's some joy to be had in just sort of noting the similarities and, and, and the differences, you know, uh, and, and Mick Garris is no, is no Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it feels unfair to compare it because here you have like one of the greatest films of all time directed by, 
you know, the Kubrick with the Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall. But and on the other hand, it's like, you know, Steven Weber and Rebecca DeMorney, of course, they're very talented, but they're just not. They're just you can't really compare because, yeah. you know, it's like two movie stars compared to like two um, kind of lesser known actors. Um, and yeah, the directors, of course, are very different. But I, I'm curious because like if it's closer to or to Stephen King's version, then I, I wonder like how the marriage plays out in, in that miniseries because I, I think that there might, I feel like there is that element of like, um, from what I remember, I think there is that element of, you know, a somewhat more happy or at least less unhappy family at the beginning. It. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it, it did, I, you know, I watched the first, the first episode or the first part of the miniseries and I was just like, I didn't have time to finish it that night and I just never went back to it. Although I do want to um, just like, I do recommend you do watch Dr. Sleep because in some ways it feels like a perfect adaptation or perfect sequel to both the book and the Kubrick movie That's right. in a weird way. Like there, he's able, like Mike Flanagan's able to like find that, find that way to kind of please both sides of, <laughs> you know, this conversation. And uh, I find that to be, um, yeah, really, yeah, really interesting. Yeah, no, I, you know, the, what, what's the, the holdup has been that uh, I was, I literally, since it came out, I've been telling my wife, like, oh, uh, we should watch, uh, uh, like, I want to watch Dr. Sleep. And she's like, well, I haven't seen The Shining. I was like, we'll watch The Shining and then watch Dr. Sleep. And it's, I mean, God, when did Dr. Sleep come out? Like 2019. So yeah, it's yeah. been, it's been an entire pandemic of being like, we'll watch it one of these days. So I'm, I am yeah. hopeful, <laughs> but that's really cause, cause she wants to see, she wants to see Dr. Sleep. I think just cause she likes, uh, you know, McGregor. Uh, and he's, he's really good in the movie. Like it's hard, you know, it's hard to follow Jack Nicholson in, in a real sense. And I mean, he's not playing Jack of course, but it's hard to like, you know, it's, it, it it's hard to like lead a movie that Jack Nicholson had any kind of, you know, association with as, you know, and uh, he pulls it off. I mean, it's yeah. a, of course he's playing a totally different character and it's, but if you can see that he studied, they, they studied, you know, the, the movie without copying it. And it's really interesting. Um, I've never, I mean, I haven't read the book either, Dr. Sleep, but um, you know, it's, yeah, it's it's a good movie. I recommend watching the like three hour cut because it just feels more like complete. Okay. Well, you you um, you've got me like I was already yeah. looking forward to watching. <laughs> you got me more more looking forward to watching. Um, I have to say, one thing I always think about when I watch The Shining is um the uh, the typewriter scene. We you know when when he discovers all the page all the pages having the same. Uh, phrase, you know, the um, I'll work and no play. And I just always think about that, that poor, you know, production assistant or whoever <laughs> right. had to type all that and do it for like 50 pages, 100 pages. Um, but that is like, I think one of my favorite scenes of the movie because it really gives me a, um, again, it's like it's a small thing, but it just highlights, you know, the, the extent of which this family is kind of past the point of return you know yeah it um, it it's it's also kind of fascinating because that moment is so unnerving and yeah. and you know it, there's nothing supernatural there it's just stuff it's text on paper yeah right and and the other thought i have harking back to what we were talking about at the beginning you know the simpsons parody um uh, of of the shining which which hues very closely to the, the the major beats of the film it makes you think you know like just how thin that line is between horror and humor and and it takes it takes a, a true maestro to be able to do either you know uh, uh either humor or horror because it is somewhat absurd yeah um and it's it's such a strong attention to detail because it's not like he's just typing it out like you know line after line but like he's like typing it in like that it looks like a book mm -hmm. and like looks like dialogue yeah to me that's like that's part of me is like that absurdist humor yeah of this movie that that really i think stands out as you watch it more and more um because it's like i'm just like wow like he actually like put some thought into his like well it just makes you wonder like 
you know, does he think he's writing something like an actual book, but like his, right. you know, insanity is having him write this, you know, this thing or, or like what's, you just don't quite know what's happening. Um, I I don't really watch The Simpsons. But I'm definitely curious to watch that one episode at least because that sounds interesting. And I I love when you know sh- cartoon shows do like kind of these like full parodies. Like American Dad is like my favorite cartoon show, and they always do really like smart satires of famous movies and stuff. Uh, you know, um, I got to tell you, as as a big a fan of The Shining as you are, I'd be very curious. Yeah, it's it's season yeah. six. It's the Treehouse of Horror episode. Okay, uh, it's called. The I'll Sh- check it out. The, I, the Shining is what it's called. So check okay, it. I'll check it out. I, I think The Simpsons are on what Disney Plus. Disney Plus, yeah, yeah, it's definitely accessible. Um, yeah, are there um, are there any like final? Um, like any kind of final thoughts you have or any scenes or moments or character beats that you wanted to mention um, before we kind of finish up? Yeah, well, I, 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 we, we didn't mention Scatman and Crothers and that feels like a disservice oh, yes. to yes. uh, yes. Scatman and Crothers. Just great performance. <laughs> uh, uh, many great performances. You know, I have to say, I, I grew up uh, with a fondness for him because he was jazz. Uh, on the Transformers cartoon, he was the voice. Oh wow! Um, <laughs> that's that's what I that was my first exposure to him. So when I watched uh, the when I watched the Shining, I was like, "Is he? Is he jazz?" You know? Um, yeah. But he's so good. He's so he's so good. And and I, I understand Carl Lumbly plays um, Halloran in in uh, Doctor Sleep or like in a, yes. in a flashback. Yeah. So that's great casting um, there too. And you know, I, he's he's one of those characters to me that like um it's like the one normal sane character and you're just like please don't leave like i need Mm -hmm. i need to have this like stable person in the movie and that he you know is disappears for a major chunk of the movie and it's like again it's that feeling of just like we're all just they're all just like kind of drowning without this one stable figure and the one person that could probably you know not save them but at least like can help who understands Danny and can kind of be there um, mm-hmm. and support him and, and kind of get, you know, get some kind of, you know, support for them. Uh, yeah. It's a great, I mean, I love that performance. Um, I love the, you know, the, um, Oh, he just looks like a doc. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like such a, like, I mean, such a like grandfather thing to say, or like such a, like, um, yeah, I think one thing that I always find to be so wonderful is the red rum sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, especially like, I mean, it's like, you know, Kubrick's camera work in that is so well executed. I mean, he just like, I feel like he just like understands horror in a way that is, feels very classical, but also feels very inventive and like, um, like, I don't know what kind of research he did for this movie or like what he was watching or reading, or if he just kind of had this like innate understanding of genre. Um, because I feel I find that like he takes more like theatrical risks or more, he takes these like choice, he has these choices that feel kind of different and more cinematic than like, you know, other lesser horror movies might be. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, like the way he uses his camera always feels so cinematic. I mean, whether it's like the stillness or just like the cha- like chaotic movements or even like at the end in the um, in the uh, in the maze, just like how it's filmed. It just feels so like cinematic. And, you know, I had this movie on um, 4K. The, the 4K transfer is really quite exceptional. I mean, mm-hmm. the movie feels like it doesn't feel brand new because it doesn't have that like digital sheen to it. It feels like, you know, it has some like the like film, like the film camera, the good stuff, like the greediness. Yeah, exactly. So it's not like it feels like new, but it just feels like enhanced in a way. Um, and you really do take notice of the zooms and the pans and the, you know, even the stillness of the camera just really feels, you know, so intentional. Yeah. I'm like waiting for an eyes wide shut 4k if it ever comes. I mean, one, um, one, that, one imagines it's going to, at some point. Yeah. The 2001 uh, disc as well is just ex- gorgeous. That, that is good, yeah. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I really do. I, this movie is like, you know, like when I think about like really like the classic, you know, marriage movies like Kramer versus Kramer and Marriage Story and, um, you know, Days of Wines and Roses. Like I find that, you know, this movie really stands like next to those um, because I think it's such a like piercing examination of just, um, you know, the silent and unspoken tension in a marriage and how, um, you know, really just things are just always at the risk of exploding. And then when it does, it's like violent and horrifying and chaotic. Um, and I, I just really, um, you know, I, I wonder what, you know, kind of like what Kubrick thought about the relationship in this movie. Cause I mean, I'd like, um, not his next movie, but Eyes Wide Shut, I think is another great example of a movie that is about a crumbling marriage that doesn't quite know how to express it and how to get over it. Um, and, uh, even like that movie kind of ends in a sense of like, I'm not quite sure if they actually resolve the problems that they have. Right. Um, that's right. And if it's just going to repeat, I think. I mean, I know like this movie has a more definite ending, but it just feels, you know, just wonder like, what are the mistakes that are going to be made and repeated, you know, at, towards the end or after the end of the movie? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch upon? Any kind of um, concluding thoughts about Kubrick, uh, The Shining or, or anything we touched upon? Uh well, I'll just say my, my little my little trivia that I love to carry around with me in my pocket, which is that uh, Barry Nelson, who plays uh, Stuart Ullman, he's the very first uh, James Bond. Oh, really? In yeah. um... he oh, he wow. played uh, he played James Bond in a TV adaptation of Casino Royale in the nineteen oh, fifties, wow. and I always love busting that out as my little my little party trick. That is amazing. I love that. Because I was thinking, oh, was, was he in like the other Casino Royale, like the comedy one? But I don't know when that came out. Um, uh, that was, uh, yeah, that yeah. was like uh, 66, 67, something like that. Okay, wow. That's that's really interesting. I mean, I just like, I, I love little casting trivia like that, especially with the movie like The Shining, where it's like, I don't think of these actors. I mean, Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall, of course, and Scott McCullers as well, but like, yeah, like the like the ghosts or the other kind of characters. I don't think of them as like actors because like this mm-hmm. movie is just so like ingrained into my psyche, and I just I forget like they had careers outside of this movie and like they right. Were. I think um, I you know the final shot of him in the picture is just like um, so it's just such a perfect you know with the song and the. Um, you know, like I love the I mean, I, I love the scene when he goes into the ballroom and it's like filled with people in like nineteen twenties or whatever costumes and it just like really spooks you. And like it's just like mm-hmm. little stuff like that where it's like not there's like no it's like hardly any special effects, it's just like people, but because of the tension and the you know, the tone of the film, everything just feels so scary and unsettling and you know, a lot of the images in the movie just don't feel you know, easy to to forget. I mean, they feel very, um, you know, uh, iconic and classic. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, you know, I, no one needs me to say that The Shining is a classic, but <laughs> it is. And um, it's a movie to me that I, I find that I keep returning to and watch and find new things to be freaked out about and new rabbit holes to explore as I get into conspiracy theories about the moon landing and whatever. <laughs> <laughs> You know, all that all that stuff but um yeah well thank you so so much for uh coming on the podcast oh, my and talking about this movie with me uh please you know let the listeners know you know what you're working on where they can find you anything else you'd like to share uh yeah well you can find my reviews at uh, the san francisco chronicle i also write for the rap and ign and if you're looking for me on uh, social media i'm usually at zaki's corner that's z-a-k-i-s corner and I'd also like to throw out a plug for my uh, podcast, the Movie Film Podcast, which I co-host with my uh, partner, Brian Hall, who is a uh, television writer. And uh, we usually talk about new releases and, uh, you know, um, we do commentary tracks for, movies, uh, for, for 
older films, and it's a lot of fun, and uh, you can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. Movie film, podcast, wonder. Yes, for sure. Um, uh, you can find me on Twitter at vertigay314, and also follow the podcast at you. Uh, yeah, this was the end of the Bad Romance miniseries, and the next episode after this will be the finale of the Queer Romance miniseries, which is very exciting. So a lot of a lot of endings, but uh, after that, I have a whole new miniseries plan. So look out for that. Uh, Zaki, thanks again for coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure, and I um, yeah, just really glad to have you share your thoughts on the film. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And thanks for listening. Held a message tender Saying I surrender All my love to you Midnight brought us sweet romance